What are Bayerat descriptors that describe the posterior features of a mass? We have few, four of them. One, we can have posterior acoustic enhancement, posterior shadowing. We can have both enhancement and shadowing, and the term for it is combined pattern. And finally, no posterior features. Again, enhancement, shadowing, combined, and none are the BIRAD descriptors for posterior features of a mass on ultrasound. What factors are known to increase chances of developing breast cancer? There are a few of them. Mainly, ADH and ALH are known to increase risk of breast cancer. LCIS is also known to increase breast cancer. And non-breast-related factors, including dense breast, if you think of it, Denser breasts have more breast tissue than fatty breast, so there is increased chance of developing cancer in dense breast. Also, the chances of finding cancer or early cancer in dense breast is smaller. The diagnostic value of a mammogram is generally about 80% of detecting cancer. Now, if it's a dense breast, the diagnostic ability to find breast mass is about 50%. Again, 50% is the diagnostic utility in of a dense breast mammogram. And finally, radiation therapy to the chest. These are typically people who are treated with lymphoma and they're treated with chest radiation. When they were young, there is a significantly increased risk of developing breast cancer. What is the differential for cystic and solid mass on ultrasound? So if you see a solid and cystic mass on ultrasound, what is the differential for such lesion? Differential include fibrocystic changes, papilloma or papillary carcinoma, IDC with necrosis, and DCIS. Again, the differential for solid and cystic mass on ultrasound, most common one would be fibrocystic changes, most common malignant solid and cystic mass on ultrasound is either papilloma or papillary carcinoma. Then additionally, IDC with necrosis can present as a solid and cystic mass. And as usual, DCIS is present in almost any of the differential. Classification of breast density on mammogram. For mammograms, we assign density of the breast as four categories, so A, B, C, and D, D being the densest or very dense breast. And the way we measure breast density is by comparing it to an equal volume of normal distribution of fibroglandular tissue. Obviously, if a small segment has a very dense fibroglandular tissue, it's going to be considered dense, but we don't focus on that one segment, we focus on the entire breast and we classify it again as A, B, C, and D. Density of breast matters because the denser the breast, the lower our ability to detect breast cancer. Ultrasound descriptors of simple breast cyst include an echoic pattern, smooth, thin walls, and distal or posterior acoustic enhancement again. An echoic posterior acoustic enhancement and thin walls. What is pneumocystography? 
This is the process of injecting air into a cyst after cyst aspiration to confirm that it is truly simple without any wall component or lobulations. Let's quickly talk about BIRAD category and BIRAD classification. We'll start with BIRAD 1 and 2. BIRAD 1 is a negative, meaning a normal breast. There are no benign findings, rather it's a normal breast tissue. BIRAD 2 is benign finding and the chance or likelihood of cancer is zero. Again, that's BIRAD 2. For a screening mammogram, we give the breast or BIRAD classification either 1, 2, or 0. 0 means we do not have enough imaging, meaning we're missing priors, or we need to do additional imaging or bring back the patient for a diagnostic study. Now, when a patient comes back for a diagnostic mammogram, our options of giving the patient are 1 through 5. We still can give them a 0, for example, if they tell us, oh, yeah, I had this mass and I have my mammogram at outside hospital. We can ask them to bring it. But generally, a diagnostic mammogram, would, we would have to define or give it a different classification than one or two unless we find its normal finding. At that point, we have BIRAD3, BIRAD4, and BIRAD5. BIRAD3 is a very strict criteria that we should not give randomly or abuse and it requires a short-term follow-up of 6 months, 12 months, 18 months, and then at 2 years. And if no change, we can bring it back into BIRAD2 after 2 years. The chances of developing cancer from a BIRAD3 lesion should be less than 2%. So if you see a lesion that you think the cancer risk is greater than 2%, then should be a class 4 or BIRAD4 lesion. BIRAD4 lesion is a broad range from greater than 2% into 95%. Because of this wide range, we split it into three classifications, 4A, 4B, 4C. For a risk of malignancy is greater than 2 to 10%. 4B is 10 to 50%, and 4C, 50 to 95%. And BIRAD5 is 95%, and there is a BIRAD6, which is a confirmed biopsy-proven cancer. Again, let's talk about BIRAD4. BIRAD4A is 2 to 10% of malignancy risk. BIRAD4B is 10 to 50% malignancy risk. And BIRAD4C is 50 to 95% cancer risk. BIRAD3 should not be overused and it requires six months follow up for two years, and risk of malignancy is between 0 to 2%. What is the positive predictive value of a breast biopsy? Now we're talking about a lesion that we determined for biopsy. We're talking about the result or positive predictive value of a biopsy. It's 25 to 40%, meaning of all the people that we send to get biopsied, between 25 to 40% of those people will have cancer and the rest will not have, will have benign finding. 
regardless of what's going to happen afterward, the positive predictive value of breast biopsy is 25 to 40%. And this is something important to mention when you're counseling patients about recommending a biopsy result, telling them that the chances are more chances that the breast biopsy will negative will be negative than will be positive. Obviously, this is not for a BIRAD 4C or a BIRAD 5 lesion. This is just for regular lesions. Overall, positive predictive value of a breast biopsy is 25 to 40%. What is the differential for radiolucent or fat-containing masses? Those are masses that do not require even ultrasound for follow-up. Number one, oil cysts, lipomas, hamartomas, and galactosylin lymph nodes. Hamartoma can be easily asked. Galactosyl and lymph nodes are also very common to show up on questions. Lipoma and oil cyst are, you know, a giveaway, but they can tell you a pregnant patient, galactosyl, meaning the lesion that contains fat, and they might show you an ultrasound with fluid fat level, or they might just tell you that it's a breastfeeding mom with a mass on the breast. When is it recommended to start screening males for breast cancer? Basically, screen for males with BRCA carriers or equivalent, meaning chance of developing cancer greater than 15% or so is when you start screening. There is a debate to screen or not to screen people or males who received estrogen replacement therapy. The debate, I think, is not placed for a fair question in the test. But if they give a scenario where a male has been on a long-term estrogen replacement, so five years or greater, I would probably say to screen them. But otherwise, I would not screen them. What is the common appearance of intramammillary lymph nodes? Typically, it shows up as well-circumscribed mass with reniform shape or shape like a kidney with central fatty hilum. So the cortex of the kidney and then the basically the hilum is fatty typically can be seen adjacent to a vein because typically they parallel lymphatic drainage parallel venous drainage again reniform circumscribed mass with fatty hilum in an earlier episode we talked about fine linear blanching calcification as well as amorphous calcifications now we're just going to address the suspicious breast calcifications, meaning those are calcifications that we would have to do biopsy even if they were stable on multiple priors. We have four suspicious calcifications, amorphous, coarse heterogeneous, fine pleomorphic, and fine linear branching. Of all those, fine linear branching has the worst positive predictive value. Again. Amorphous, coarse heterogeneous, fine pleomorphic, and fine linear branching calcifications. In a prior episode, we discussed MRI features of fibroadenomas, and we said it's important to characterize it because they're common breast masses. Now, general features of fibroadenomas, regardless of what imaging modalities include, they're ovoid or almond-shaped masses with smooth borders and homogeneous internal echogenicity. If we're looking in mammograms or x-rays, they would still have homogeneous makeup. 
and they demonstrate acoustic enhancement. What term did we say that we can describe or use to describe hamartoma? We said fibroadenolipoma. Again, fibroadenolipoma is a term to describe hamartoma, and it can be shown up in questions, and they want you to know that fibroadenolipoma is basically hamartoma. What is a malignant differential for circumscribed masses? In another way, what I'm asking, what are the well-circumscribed cancers or breast cancers? We have five. One is IDC, not otherwise specified, medullary carcinoma, mucinous carcinoma, phalloides tumor, and papillary carcinoma. Again, these are well-circumscribed cancers, and the differential is IDC, medullary carcinoma, mucinous carcinoma, phalloides tumor, and papillary carcinoma. What is the differential for calcified axillary lymphadenopathy? Typically, metastasis from ovarian or thyroid cancer, gold therapy for rheumatoid, and they love to ask this question on the board even though it's not used anymore. And finally, granulomatous disease. Again, differential for calcified axillary lymphadenopathy, metastasis from thyroid or ovarian origin, gold therapy for rheumatoid arthritis, and granulomatous disease or granulomatous infections. What is the differential for benign nipple discharge? Again, differential for benign nipple discharge. Hormone irregulation. What is the differential for benign nipple discharge? One, hormonal, so hyperprolactinemia, any reason for a pituitary mass or so on, thyroid disease, ductectasia, fibrocystic changes, and medications. There is a whole list of medication that can produce nipple discharge. Again, differential for benign nipple discharge, hyperprolactinemia, thyroid disease, ductectasia, fibrocystic changes, and medications. What are the properties of benign nipple discharge? We just reviewed the differential for benign nipple discharge. Now, properties, there are a few things. One, color, and it's really important to focus on the color because they can ask you a nipple discharge with this color, what to do next. Colors for benign nipple discharge, black or white, yellow or green. Again, black, white, green, or yellow. White is milk. Black, green, yellow are all benign discharges. If it's bilateral, as you would expect, this is a benign process. The chances of bilateral malignant process that causes nipple discharge is very low. If it's coming from multiple ducts, just as bilateral, multiple duct is benign. And finally, if it's expressible, if you can express the discharge, then it is a benign discharge. Just like milk. Milk is expressible and it's benign. Now, if it's inexpressible, and the way they tell you it's inexpressible is they'll say the patient wakes up with their um, bra saturated with discharge or it gets episode where there is nipple discharge on the bra. That is a sign for malignant discharge question that can be asked regarding morphology of calcification versus change in calcification. Obviously, change is worrisome for developing process, but in regards to breast calcification, 
morphology is actually more important than stability. So amorphous fine linear branching calcifications or fine linear calcification, even if it was stable for years, this is more uh, has more prognostic value than stability, and so those need to be biopsied. What are the pyrite descriptors for distribution of calcifications? Why this is important? Because certain distributions have more malignant potentials and more worrisome than others. We have diffuse, regional, clustered, and segmental. Again, diffuse, regional, segmental, and clustered calcification, as well as linear, but linear is more related to allocation of calcification. The malignant or worrisome distributions are linear and segmental. Again, segmental or linear distribution of calcification is very worrisome for neoplastic process. Remember when we said a round group calcification can be classified as BIRAD3 and followed up? Now, what defines grouped calcification? What's the criteria that we're able to say these are considered group calcifications and these are not? The criteria is five calcifications within one centimeter of each other. Again, within a defined pattern, meaning they look like they're in a group. Again, five calcifications within one centimeter of each other and they appear like they're a group. They're not in linear distribution, rather they're in a grouped distribution. Now, if there is a large number of calcifications within two centimeter of each other, we still can use grouped calcification, but the strict definition is one centimeter of five calcification and group distribution. But if there are more than five calcifications, then we can extend the region to include two centimeter. Which calcification distribution is considered intermediate concern? What do I mean by that? Remember we said segmental or linear distribution of calcification is worrisome for malignancy. Now of the grouped or the distribution of calcification we mentioned, we mentioned diffuse, regional, clustered, segmental, and linear calcification. Segmental and linear were considered worrisome. What is intermediate concern? Clustered calcification is considered intermediate concern. When it's clustered, but throughout the breast, this is typically benign. But when it's a single focus of clustered calcification, then we are more worried about it. That leaves us with two distributions that are benign distribution, which are diffuse and regional. Again, diffuse and regional are benign. Clustered is intermediate based on if it's multiple clusters throughout the breast, this is benign. If it's a single group of clustered calcification, then this is worrisome, then segmental and linear distribution is also worrisome. 